This week's parsha is Parsha's Chayesara. There's a very interesting medrash in this week's parsha, and it goes like this: Rabbi Akiva Hayayeshe Vidirish. Rabbi Akiva was once sitting and giving a drasha to his talmidim. And as he was giving the drasha to his Talmidim, the Talmidim began to doze off. Can't relate to this, but this is what uh, the Medrash says. And, um, Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake them up. So instead of slamming on the shtender, instead of screaming at them, Instead of uh, doing something else to uh, startle them, he decided to tell them a vart. And obviously with this vart, he wanted to be ma'ir them, he wanted to get them to awaken and to stop sleeping. And this is what he said to wake them up. Ma'rasa Esther Limloich al Kufkov Zayin Medina. Esther Amalka, she had to make a decision together with Mardachai about whether or not she should submit herself to Achashverish to uh, allow herself to become his Malka. It wasn't clear. This is a major decision. What should I do? Should I go to Achashverish? Should I go to his. Um, to, to allow myself to go to the Beis HaMelech, I know that it's going to uh, result in, in, in many Averis as a result, but I have a chance to save Kal Yisrael. Something is happening here. Should I or shouldn't I? Should I become a Malka over 127 Medinas or not? And this is what she understood let the great great granddaughter of Sara Imenu come Sara Imenu we learn at the beginning of this week's parasha lived for 127 years let the great granddaughter myself of Sara Imenu who lived 127 years, let her come, the Simlaich al Kufchav Zayin Medinais. And let her be the Malka over 127 Medinais. 127 years of Sarimena's life and 127 countries under the Memshala of Achashverosh under the Malucha, the uh, autonomy, the authority of Achashverosh. So that's what made her decide to become the Malka. And obviously, this Medrash needs an explanation because why did Rabbi Akiva say this to awaken them? What exactly is the uh, is the the takeaway from this Medrash that would suddenly get his Talmidim? to wake up, not to sleep, to, uh, to do the right thing. Was this such a powerful message that he was sending? 
that suddenly everybody would do tshuva and start waking up and, and not sleeping anymore? Why is this such an alarm bell, this, this, this medrash or this concept that Rabbi Akiva taught his Talmidim? Comes along the Chidush Arim, the Ger Rebbe, and he says the following beautiful idea. He says that the reason why this Medrash was so powerful and that he felt that this would awaken his Talmidim is because if you do the math and understand what was going through Esther Amalka's mind, she was comparing what seems to be apples and oranges. She's comparing 127 years of Sari Amena's life, that's years of life, with 127 countries. Now, how do you compare? Obviously, the number is the same, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's not like she found somebody that had a, that, that also was Melech on 127 countries. Says the Chidush Harim that if you do the math, what is really taking place is that Esther Malka said that for every year of Sari Menu's life, there's one country in the world to correspond with that. Which means that if every year of one's life you look at as a country, and every month of the year would be, let's say, a state, and every week of the year is a city, and every day is maybe a, a little uh, a little section of the city, it comes out that every minute might be a skyscraper, it might be a post office, it might be a, a big building, it might be Lander College for Men. Every second of the year, every, every second of life is extremely valuable. Real estate is a, a very expensive thing. You go and try to find a house here in Queens, it, you can't find anything for under, like, come out a million dollars for just a little attached row house. You know, that's what the going price is. So imagine if I told you that every second of your life you're getting another row house. And every minute you're getting a whole block. And every day you're getting an entire half of Queens. And every week you're getting uh, New York City. That would wake you up. Because you realize then how valuable time is. If you're able to understand what Esther's Cheshman was, Esther's Cheshman was not a Pashmah Cheshman. She was saying that if I'm a great-granddaughter of Sari Menu who lived 127 years and, and my countries that I have the ability to be Melech over are 127 as well, that means that the breakdown is very, very valuable. It means that every minute of my life can't be squandered with nonsense. You can't just say, well, it's a down day, I'm going to just chill today, or I'm going to just take uh, three hours and uh, you know play video games, because... Every minute is real value. Every every minute is, uh, is 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 tremendous. The real estate that we we'd be able to acquire if we'd understand what life is, what time is, is great. 
This is, says the Chidush Arim, the way that Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake up his Talmudim who were sleeping during his drasha. By making them appreciate the value of time. What are you doing? You're sleeping now? Sleep at night. Get yourself a coffee. Come to Shear. Listen to what I'm saying. Absorb it. Don't squander time. What are you doing sleeping? How could you sleep and waste your life when life is so valuable? This was the lesson, says the Chidush Arim. This was the lesson that Rabbi Akiva wanted to impress upon his Talmidim. I wanted to suggest a different mahalach in explaining what Rabbi Akiva's cheshpin was here. Rabbi Akiva wanted to wake up the Talmidim when he was giving a drasha. Why do people sleep during drashas? I was once in a shul and I was sitting on the second row of the shul and on the first row um, there was a balabas and he was like a shtickle let. And as soon as the rabbi got up to speak on Shabbos morning after, uh, after they put the Sefer away, he says, like to me, but like with an earshot of the rabbi, as, every, as the rabbi is going up to give his drasha, nap time. And like the rabbi heard it. He was giving him like a dirty look. I didn't cop that the rabbi was giving him a dirty look, but he was. But... And then Taka, he sat down, he just closed his eyes, he went to sleep. So did three quarters of the shul. Look around, next time, you know, the rabbi starts giving a drasha on your shuls, you'll see exactly the same thing probably. Why do people fall asleep during the rabbi's drasha? Or during a rabbi's shir, for that matter. Let's not just put everything on the pulpit rabbi's. Rabbeim had plenty of people sleeping, and Rabbanim and Rashi Shivas and Mashkichim, everybody has their share of people that sleep during Shir. Why are people doing that? Why do people sleep? The answer is, the simple answer is, because people don't feel that the drasha that's being said is relevant to them. If I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking directly to you, let's say it's a one-on-one, let's say you come to me privately and you're asking me a question or I'm telling you something personal, you're going to be awake. You're not sleeping in in, in front of me privately because it's a one-on-one. I'm telling you something that's personally negated to you or we're discussing something that's negated to us and I'm telling you something that's very important. You're going to listen because there's no escaping it. I'm talking to you. And if it's to you, you want to absorb it. But when I give a, a shear, a shmuz, a, a drasha to many people, human psychology, the way that human beings are wired, is that they feel that it's not negaya to them. They feel that it's negaya to maybe other people in the room, but it's not personally negaya to them. There's a famous uh, story that's told about a Magid 
that a Magid came to town. There used to be like these Magidim, they didn't live in the town. They went from town to town. They would give these very fire and brimstone drushas, and then they would put like a, a pushka in the front uh, of the shul. And if you liked the drusha, you put money in the pushka, and, and then he went to the next town and, uh, and made it, that's how he made his parnasa. So there was a great Magid, and he was going from town, then he stopped off in a town, and it was like during a service, he made shuba, and he was on fire. And the whole town packed the shul, bumper to bumper, and he was giving his drasha, and he kept on saying, Yom Kippur is coming up, everybody in this town has to prepare for the Yom Misa. And everybody was screaming and crying and doing tshuva and clapping al during the drasha, they were going crazy. But there was one guy in the back of the shul, and he wasn't moved at all. He was just like sitting there and like, you know, just like listening, but not inspired at all. And the Magid like focused on him, because like it was like, became a challenge for him to like wake this guy up. Everyone else was crying, and then like he couldn't care less at one point about the rest of the shul. The 500, the 499 people that were crying and screaming and doing shuba, that was irrelevant. He was focused on this one guy and he kept on saying, and everybody is going to die someday in this town and everybody in this town is going to have to give a din mecheshpin someday. And he kept on screaming, everybody's crying except for this guy. And like, and then he just couldn't anymore. He wasn't being much clear, so he just basically said, okay, and you know, merab yamein amein and you know, everybody's wow, amazing, and everybody's like, come and give me a shkayah. He was like, he basically pushed away everybody, and he goes to the back of the shul, he grabs this guy by the lapels, he says, buddy, I was able to inspire to everyone else in the shul, except for you, what's your deal, what's your problem? How come you're like impervious to my musr? The guy says nothing personal. He says, I wasn't, I just didn't uh, relate to. He says, What's there not to relate to? He says, Because you kept on saying that everybody in this town is going to die, and everybody in this town is going to give a din machesh, and everybody in this town is going to. He says, I'm not from this town. I'm from out of town. I'm just visiting here. It's, that wasn't the to me. You're talking to everybody else in the room, but not to me. Now, obviously, the, the, what he was telling was relatable to this guy, but human beings don't want to be macabre things because if I could get out of it, I'm going to get out of it. I don't like hearing Musr. Nobody likes to hear Musr because Musr means I, I'm not doing what I should be. I have to change. It's criticism. It's, it gets people nervous. So if you're hearing a drasha, you basically you try to figure out a way that, or you think, that this is great musr that he's giving, and it's important musr. You can't argue with it, but it's it's to everybody else. It's not to me. This is something that didn't happen in America. It didn't happen in Europe before the war. This is a human condition that existed from the beginning of time itself. I guess the first, or maybe the second Musr Shmuz that was given in, in the history of the world was HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaking to Kayan. 
Cain and Hevel both brought their respective carbonus. Cain brought a shvacha carbon. He brought from, like the Garua Rashi says, from the shvacha produce. Hevel also brought a carbon, but he brought it from the spitz. He brought from, like, me, me, from the from the finest of animals, mechalbeim, the, the fattest, finest animals that money could buy. That's what Hevel brought. Cain brought, like, some other produce shvacha. And then Hevel copied him, but Hevel brought Spitz. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu turned towards Hevel's carbon, the Geshmaka carbon, that's what he was Makabo. But he didn't accept the, the carbon of, Hev, uh, of Kayin. And Kayin got very upset about this. Kayin did not like to be rejected. He didn't want to lose the competition with his brother. So he got very upset, very angry at the Rabbi Nishayon. HaKadosh Baruch Hu then gives him a Musr He says, so upset, why is your face so despondent? If you improve yourself, everything will be fine. And if you don't, you're going to have to give a din v'cheshpen. There's going to be a, at the at the gate of uh, at the doorway of your grave, at the opening of your grave, you're going to be punished for what you're doing if you stay angry at me. You could fight the Eitzar. You don't have to let it. Don't let it see you. Don't let it get you upset. Get over it, basically. And that was the end of the Musar Next pasuk says, "Vayomer kain el hevalachiv." And Cain says to Hevel, his brother, and it was when they were in the field, Cain gets up over his brother Hevel, and he kills him. Strange pasuk. Why is it so strange? Let's see it again. Cain says to Hevel, and you're expecting the quotation mark to start, you know, popping up after the Asnachta. But it doesn't. They run in the field and and Cain kills Hevel. So the Mepharshim are bothered by what did he say? What did Cain exactly say to Hevel? So if you see the Ebenezer, the Ebenezer says, you know what he said to Hevel? He repeated the drush of the Rebbein Yishayim. He says the whole thing. He says, Haloyim teitiv seis v'emloy seitiv apezachatas roibes he basically repeated the drasha that he heard from Rabbi Nishlam to, to Hevel. As if to say, meaning that Kayan is saying that that was a beautiful drasha that the Rabbi Nishlam gave, but it wasn't to me. The Rabbi Nishlam obviously meant me to repeat this drasha to Hevel. He's the bad guy. He deserves the Musr Shmuz. He deserves the drasha. Me? Uh, I'm perfect. I don't need Musr. So Vayemer Kayin, Kayin says, El Hevelachev, you know, I'm going to repeat it to him. He's the, you got the wrong address. It's really to him. He deserves the Musr. Don't tell it to me. He's the one that deserves it. Deflection. We deflect criticism. We don't want to accept criticism. We don't like being wrong. We don't like people telling us that we're wrong. We don't like telling people telling us what to do and what not to do. And when we do hear that, we feel that it's not Megayat to me. It must be to everybody else in the room. 
That's why drushas are so challenging, because you can give a very inspirational drusha, but unfortunately, the people that you're trying to tell the drusha to, they're not listening to it. I always say that, and I've been saying this literally for the last 18 years. I've been saying it. It's the same vart. Same vart. Fridays. Okay, look around the room. If you notice, Fridays are not as full as, as Wednesdays for some reason. Where is everybody else? Baruch Hashem, I'm grateful that you guys are here and I appreciate it. But where is everybody else? You ever wonder, like, where is, where is like three quarters of the yeshiva? We still have Baruch Hashem a nice island there and, and every one of you is it's not just whatever's in this room, it's your Talmidim and your Talmidim Talmidim and your family and your friends and and, and her anytime. But where's everybody else? And the irony is that as I look around the room, everybody in this room doesn't need Musr. If you're here on a Friday and you're coming to the Shmoz, then by definition, you're a Ben Taira, you're a guy that doesn't need the Musr. Who does need the Musr? The guys that are not in the room. That's the way life is. This is just a microcosm of life. Whoever's in the room, this is the yeshiva. This is based medical Talmud, as far as I'm concerned. The people not in the room and that never come, they're not in yeshiva. They're matriculated and they'll get a lander college for a men diploma at the end of their at the end of their uh, when they when they reach 120 credits or whatever it is, and they're out of here. But they were never here to begin with, as far as I'm concerned. They could have been in Queens College, they could have been in, uh, in Brooklyn College, they could have been in, uh, in, in any college. York College, they could be anywhere. But why did they come to Lander? They came to Lander presumably to, be, to become part of Yeshiva. But if they're not here on Sundays, they're not here on, on Fridays, they're not here for the Shirk Kohli, they're not here for the Vod, they're not here for Night Seder, so what are you here for? Why are you wasting your parents' money? Go to a cheap community college or something. What are you doing here? But the irony is that the real people that are here that are listening to the Musr, they don't need the Musr. The people that are sleeping, literally, they do need the Musr, but they're not here to hear it. There's a Mysa that's told about Rav Aryeh Levine. Rav Aryeh Levine was the tzaddik of Yerushalayim. He was Rav Yashiv's father-in-law. He was Rebetzin Kanievsky's grandfather. And he was the tzaddik Hadar. He was, he was known to be the tzaddik of uh, not just Yerushalayim, but of the whole world. And he used to give a shir on Shabbos afternoon, a drasha in the local shtibo. And there was uh, one of the Balabatim in that shtibo in Yerushalayim that used to frequent that, sh- that shir. Um, his wife had a big pain on him that she, he was very abusive to her. I don't know if he was physically abusive to her or verbally abusive, whatever it was, but he wasn't, he was, he was really not treating her properly. So... She sort of like clandestinely came to Rabbi Levine and said, listen, you know, my husband comes to Yashir every Shabbos afternoon. This Shabbos, if you don't mind, could you just sort of like, 
you know, weave into your drasha something about being mean to your wife, about like shalom bias and about being nice to your wife, and you know, maybe throw some chazal in and do something that that will that will convey the message to him that he shouldn't know, of course, that I told you what to say, but maybe it'll it'll have a reshim on him. So he says, okay, I'll try. So that Shabbos, he gives a drasha. That guy comes into shul. And he, uh, he starts saying something about the parasha, and then he brilliantly ties into his Joshua, um, you know, about being nice to your wife, and being mechabit or yaisem igufa, and all the chazal that he could muster to get, to convey the point that you have to be nice to your wife. So, he was watching him, like, during the shir, and the guy was, like, dozing off, like the Tamidi Rabbi Akiva, his misnam name, or he was like eating his, uh, you know, having a coffee or having some cookies or whatever, like making a little Shabbos party for himself. He was oblivious, basically, to the to the Musa. Whatever Musa was being told, that Rabbi Yehudin was trying to convey to him, he was like not 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 even listening. He's like in a bubble. After the shear was over, Rabbi Zalman Meltzer, the Gadol Adar, who also happened to attend that shear of Rabbi Levin came over and was crying to Rabbi Levine and thanking him profusely for giving that drasha. So Rabbi Levine says, why are you thanking me? He says, this, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to say anything to you. You're the Rashiva, you're the Galadar. This wasn't meant for you. It was meant for somebody else in the room who, who was sleeping the whole time. He says, no, 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 this wasn't a gayet to me. He says, because a lot of times I'm dictating my Kiddushay Torah to my wife. He had a this is Amon's wife, and her, her name was Rebetzin Bela Hinda, a very famous uh, personality. She was a very big Mulumedah, she was very smart, a lot of great stories about her. Um, but she was the one that wrote out the Eben Azel, the, the Rebetzin Zalman Sefer on, on the Rambam. And, um, and he says sometimes, like, she writes it a little bit wrong, you know, she... she she misspells something, and I get sometimes a little bit frustrated, and maybe I say a comment or two that I shouldn't, and now that you gave me that drusha, now I'm going to change. I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I can't believe that I, I was so mean. He wasn't mean to her. He never said a bad word during his life. But he took the musr personally. He was a person that was able to hear the musr, accept the musr, and take it in. But the person who was intended to, for then he probably was looking at Mr. Zalman and saying, yeah, he deserves, he needs the most of it, not me. That's human nature. Human nature is that people do not relate to Musser that well because it's, I don't want to relate to it. It's uncomfortable for me, so I'll, I'll, I'll deflect it to other people. You know who says this? This is a, uh, a Shari Tshuva. Then Yaina writes in Shari Tshuva, it's a little deeper than we normally get in Shari Tshuva. Shari Tshuva, you know, if we're lucky, we do the first part of Shari Tshuva during Elul. This is in Shar Bez. It's like the second section of Shari Tshuva, Aishavav. And he's quoting a Mishnah in Aves. Famous Mishnah. Hillel used to say, Im ein anili mili. If I'm not for myself, then who's going to be for me? What does that mean? So, Rabbi Niyana says as follows, famous line. 
Ebeniyayna says, Im ha'adam lo'ya arer, lo'ya arer nafshay, ma'ya iluhu ha'musarim. If a person doesn't awaken himself to listen, to absorb, then Musr doesn't help. If you think that by coming to a shir, by coming to a drasha, by coming to a shmuz, and just sitting in the room, that it's somehow going to, by osmosis, change you, it's not. The only way that Musr will help is if a person first is ma'er himself. You have to waken yourself up first. You have to say, listen, I'm coming to the shir, I want to change, I want to hear it, I want to, I want to accept the Musr, I want to be better. Rabbi Niyayna continues and he says, it might go into your heart when you hear it initially, but the Yitzhahara is going to make you forget it and make you oblivious to it and make you make it not relevant for you unless you make it relevant for yourself. That's what Hillel Men says when he says, I'm waiting for the rabbi to change me. I'm waiting for the Rashiva to change me. I'm waiting for the Mashkiach to change me. I'm waiting for, for, for some magnet to change me. It's not going to work. It may not If I don't do it myself, then it's not going to happen. I have to myself be awake and understand that it's addressing me. It's not addressing the guy next to me. It's not by Yaimer Kayan El Hevel Achiv that it's going to Hevel. You're deflecting the Musa to somebody else or ignoring the Musa or saying nap time before the rabbi gives a drush. You have to waken yourself up and say, sit at the edge of your seat and say, he's speaking to me personally. And I'm going to be macabre what he says and I'm going to change as much as I can. That's when Musa works. Musr by sitting in, hearing some nice stories, hearing some jokes, and you know, and then you know, saying Yashukayaf and a Kaddish Rabbanon, that ain't gonna do anything, says Rabbeinu. You have to be able to be Ma'ir Nafshay. And if a person's not Ma'ir Nafshay, Ma'ya Eluha Musrim, Musr won't help. Rabbi can't do more than that. Can't can't go and, and do open heart surgery on you. You have to open your own heart and accept what he's saying and think about it and process it and make up ways to, to change from it, and then it'll maybe help a little. But just going to a shir and like enjoying it, it's entertainment, and you know, I used to learn Mesos Yisharim with Rav Aaron Shefter B'chavrusa for two years. And one day Rav Aaron told me, a bar, many days he told me a great, a great Haaris, he's brilliant, Kenayin Haaris, he's like the, very sharp and like he'd take a piece from the Ramchal that we were learning together and he'd come up with like an amazing Kiddush and, and I, I was giving a shear at the time to a, a 12th grade shear in, uh, in a Chashid Yeshiva in Brooklyn called Kamenitz and um, it was like my first year when I stopped learning full time I was giving a shear and I, I, and I but I wanted to keep this Chavrus with Ravan so what I would do was I, would, I didn't have a car at the time my wife took the car to work and I was, uh, so I, it was like basically a half a mile from Kamenet to Chaim Berlin. And so I worked it out that I could finish Shear and then run to Chaim Berlin to catch him as he was coming into, Shir, into the base marriage for Moses Seder. And like, I was like Superman because I didn't want, when I, I was, you know, giving a Shear, you have to wear a tie. When Chaim Berlin, the, my friends would make fun of me if I was wearing a tie. 
so I, I took the tie off. And then, so as I was, like, running through the streets of Brooklyn, I was, like, taking my tie off and, like, turning into Superman. And then, like, after, after the, uh, after uh, the show was over, I'd run back to Kamenetz and, and uh, you know, putting on my tie um, as I was running. Anyway, but the next day I came back to Ravana, and he told me, like, an amazing bar, and I said... I want to tell this over to my Talmudim. It's such a beautiful bar. I said, okay. So the next day I told over my Talmudim and I said to Rav Aaron, my Musser said to that day, that I told it over to my Talmudim and they enjoyed it. So Rav Aaron is very, he's like a mafunik with words. Like you have to say the right, if you say the wrong word, you're finished. So he says, what do you mean they enjoyed it? I said, no, they got him not from it. They were, you know, they were getting into it. He says, if you're giving over Tyra for them to enjoy it, then you're an entertainer. You're an entertainer. You're not. A, you know, this is not enough. This is entertainment. You're a clown. If you're giving over Tyra to be mashpion talmidim, to change talmidim, to influence talmidim, to impact talmidim, then you're a rabbi. If you're doing it for entertainment purposes, then you're just an entertainer. For enjoyment. And that's what it is. You know, there's different shiurim you could go to. on, And you can listen on Torah anytime. There's a thousand, a million shiurim. Some shiurim, it's all jokes. From beginning to end, it's just jokes. I'm not saying there's no value to that. It's better than watching a, you know, a Gaiusha comedian. But it, it's just comedy. What do you get from that? If it's going to have an impact, it has to be real, it has to be tyrodic, and you have to prepare yourself to change. If you're just coming to a shia for entertainment, to go, oh, it's amazing, the stories are great, and the jokes are great, and the, the food is great, and the, you know, that's, that's not going to change you. If you go prepared to change, and it's negated to me, then... It still might not change you, but at least it has a fighting chance of, of making a Rishon. When Rabbi Khanan gave a hesper for his Rebbe, the Chavetz Chaim, he said, how did the Chavetz Chaim do it? How the Chavetz Chaim become the Chavetz Chaim? So he says, you know, I'll tell you a story that the Chavetz Chaim told us once, and I think that is the Nakuda, how he became so great. He says, once upon a time, when he was a little boy, the Chavetz Chaim was just starting Cheder, and he was with a group of his friends, and they were passing in the marketplace um, a woman who was like an almano, and she had an apple cart, and the apple cart sort of tipped over, and the apples were going flying all over the place. And the Chavetz Chaim and his friends, when they were little, they didn't know any better. They saw apples. You know, today we can't get into apples, but you know, substitute apples for uh, ring dings. I don't know something that you know that you'd want to eat. And the Chavetz Chaim, uh, you know, and his friends, they all took an apple and they ran away. And Nebuchadnezzar was trying to, you know, capture as many apples as he could, get it back. But the Chavetz Chaim took an apple and, it, you know, he didn't know any better. He was a little kid. 
that year, the Rebbe gave a shear to the Cheder, to his class, and, and they were learning about the, the Isser of, of, of Geneva, of stealing. As soon as the Chavetz Chaim, as a boy, as a little boy of three or four years old maybe, he heard the Rebbe saying, you're not allowed to steal. This was like a, you know, a light bulb went off on his head. And he says, wait a minute, I, I stole. And he remembered that story that happened months before. And he went to his, he ran home after, after she was over. He begged his mother for a coin. She says, what are you doing? Please just don't ask me if I just, please, I just need it. Just give me, a, give me the coin, please. And she gives it to him. He runs as fast as his little feet can take him back to the marketplace. And he gave that almana a coin and says, I'm sorry that I took your apple at that time. I didn't know any better. I just learned today in Yeshiva that I'm not allowed to steal. And here's your quarter. Here's your, here's your coin. Rebuchanan says, I think that that story is not just another story in the biography of a gadol. That is what made the Chavetz Chaim the Chavetz Chaim. Because the Chavetz Chaim was so real and he was so open to what the Dvar Hashem was. His heart was always open to listening to what the Rabbi Hashem wanted. That as soon as his Rebbe said, you can't steal, this is what the Rabbi Hashem says, he right away, there was no Chachmas and I was a kid and it was this and it was probably Hefker and it was Yish and it was this. You know, no, no Lumbus. He went, he got a coin, and he returned the money right away. He was Mekayim right away. There was no shtick. It was, it was real. He heard something, and he lived it. He heard something else, and he lived that. Every halacha that he learned, he put it into action right away. He learned about Lashon Hara. He made it his life's mission. I have to make sure that nobody speaks Lashon Hara in the world. No Ruchilas, no Sheker. Shabbos, he made his life's mission to, to spread the concept of Shemir Shabbos, to go against Chil Shabbos. Tashris, problem in the army, in the Russian army, Tashris, he wrote a kuntris about how to, how to, how to avoid Machalos Asuras and how to stay from in the army. Everything that he learned, he immediately put into practice. He had this concept that Kali saw as a whole, we're not keeping Shulchan Aruch properly. He started writing the Mishnah Bura. Took him twenty some odd years to finish the Mishnah Bura. I was just thinking about it this morning by Dominic. How amazing a feat that is to write the Mishnah Bura. You know what goes into writing a Mishnah Bura? How much not the Mishnah Bura itself is an Avaida, but then the Bir Alocha and the Sharitsian, everything, you know, you know you you have to like learn everything to write a Mishnah Bura. He's not just writing like uh, you know, copying, you know, like He's, he has to learn, like you're, you're learning sugyas and Shabbos. He has to learn all those sugyas and every sugya, halacha or ma'isa, shmaitza libidahilchasa, to come out with a crystal clear maskana. And he didn't just do it for Elcha Shabbos. He did it for tefillah. He did it for tefillin. He did it for, for, uh, birchas hashachar. He did it for Erev. He did it for, for Rosh Chaydesh. He did it for Yamtev. And the list goes on and on and on. Every single thing, every halach, every sifkat in the Shulchan Aruch, he has to do. You know what that means? How could a person do that? The answer is, I understand there's a need for something, the Rabbi Shalom needs this, I'm going to do it. He opened up his heart. He listened to the Dvar Hashem. 
and he responded to the Dvar Hashem. That's how a person is supposed to live. That's how a person is supposed to be. Not just going to Shiurim and Drushas and saying, beautiful, but it's like, hey, it's like, Rabbi, you did a great job. This show really, really needed what you just said. But you need what I just said. You need what I just said. I'm talking to you. No Rav can actually say that. But that's what every Rav is thinking. What, you think I'm speaking to Yen? I'm speaking to you. And I'm speaking to you and you and you. Individually. But I can't do it individually, so I have to say a problem. But, I'm, but it's Negea to everybody. You just have to take something from it. Contrast that Maisa of the Chavetz Chaim with the following story. It might be apocryphal, but it's a, it's a great story. There was a big Hasidish Rebbe who was very poor, and he got a Yerusha or something. Some, he, he fell into some money. And he got, let's say, $1,000, which is unthinkable. You know, it's a lot of money for him. He, he, Mamish always had pennies. Now he had $1,000. So... He didn't know where to put it. They didn't have banks in those days that you can, you know, deposit your money. Or if they did, you know, he wasn't going to no bank. He didn't want to put it in his mattress because that was too cliche. So he, uh, he basically uh, opened up his chumash and he put it on the page of the chumash that says, Why signals? Because he was hoping that if a ganav does break into his house and it's time to take the money, he'll see the pasuk Why signals and, you know, like the Chavetz Chaim, he's not going to take it. Anyway, he comes back a few weeks later, he needed some money, and he sees that it, the, the water bill seems a lot smaller than when he left it. And he opens up the chumash, and there's only $500 there, but it was on the page of the Ahaftalarecha Kamaycha. The Ganev needed $500, he didn't want to take the whole thing because love your neighbor like yourself, so he split it. Contrast that with the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim learned my signal, and he ran back to return the money. And this this yid, you know, my signal doesn't make a big reshim on us because it's talking to somebody else. My signal to somebody else. When we learn about Geneva, we learn about Hashavas uh, Habeda. It's it's for it's a it's a it's an abstract concept. It's not me. But real people, they look at every sugya, every gemara, every halacha, every musr, every drasha, and they take it personally. They see things in nature and they take it personally. They, 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 they understand that there's always messages that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending our way, but we just have to have our antennas up to realize that these are messages that the Revenge Shalom is sending me. The greatest example of this is Rabbi Akiva himself. Rabbi Akiva, we know, for the first 40 years of his life, was not... Chazal call him an Amaretz. It's not appropriate for us to call him I should probably... I wish I was Rabbi Akiva in the first 40 years of his life. You know, Halabai. But the Gemara calls him an Amaretz. And Kaisa says that he wasn't wasn't like a bad Amaretz. He was really a fine person. He always had good midas. He just didn't learn. And... So the Gemara says, what was the moment, what was the Eureka moment for Rabbi Akiva? When did Rabbi Akiva chop that he should turn life around and start learning a little bit? 
So the, the, it's, a, it's actually an avastir of Nasan. If you want to look it up, it's in Parak Vav, um, Mishnah Bez. When did this metamorphosis begin? When, when did he go from being a, a caterpillar into a butterfly? Amru ben Arboim Shana Hayav He was 40 years old. He didn't learn. He wasn't learned. One time, famous Chazal, he was standing by the mouth of a well and he saw that there was an erosion, that nature had eroded this big rock, this boulder, there was a, a hole in it. If you ever go into you know, some national parks on the west coast, you see like these beautiful rock formations that were caused by rivers running through them or something happens, wind, something happens in nature and over time things change and there becomes uh, some interesting shapes of, uh, in nature. So normally you go, you go to the Grand Canyon, you go to Bryce National Park, you go to Zion National Park, it's like beautiful, take pictures and go home. Rabbi Akiva saw this rock formation and he said, Mi chokak evenzu. Who is the one that drilled a hole in this rock? I, I didn't see any people with hydraulic drills you know, that made a hole in this rock. And they said, no, 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 there were no hydraulic drills. The, you know, the, the water, the water was dripping. From, uh, from above the mountain and it was coming down and over a course of thousands of years this is what happened. So, very nice. That's a nice, history, you know, it's a nice uh, lesson in, uh, you know, in, in, in whatever the subject that, that would be is. What is that? Whatever. Um, and, uh, what is that called actually? Geology. Geology? Thank you. What's the other thing called? Um, like there was a region for that? Uh, Earth science. Thank you. Earth science. So, earth science, it's a nice earth science lesson. But, Rabbi Akiva didn't say that's a nice, you know, it's good, you know, I'll keep that in mind for the regions. Rabbi Akiva said the following. He says, he made a kavachaymer. He said, Ma'rach pasal es if something soft like water over time is able to impact on something as hard as a rock, literally, Torah which is as strong as iron, my heart is just flesh. My heart's not a rock, but Torah is, a, is, a, is iron. Tyre can penetrate my heart if water which is soft can penetrate the rock. Could Tyre which is iron, it's steel, could go right through my heart. It could penetrate. It could have a could have a ashva. What do we see from this Chazal? And from then, the Chazal said Rabbi Kiva turned into Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was inspired. You know why? Because Rabbi Akiva saw everything as personal. This is Nagaya to me. This isn't Nagaya to everybody else. There could be millions of visitors going to the Grand Canyon every year, and no one thinks about the rock formations and how the water is caused. Nobody is Ma'ir to Chuba, to my knowledge, and became Rabbi Akiva from visiting the Grand Canyon. Rabbi Akiva was a person, you go to the Grand Canyon, he doesn't say, you know, if there is a message, it's for everybody else. He took it personally. He said, this is a message that the Rabbi Shalom is sending me. There might have been 10 billion people that also saw this rock. But when I see it, I'm going to take something home from it. That's my souvenir. 
I'm going to take, not, I'm not going to buy a bumper sticker that my car climbed the, you know, mount whatever. I'm going to change. I could change because I could learn lessons from everything. From a rock, from the ocean, from the sky, from what somebody says in a supermarket. Whatever I listen to is a message for me. A Rebbe is giving a shear, that's a message to me. I get an aliyah to the Torah and I see something that sticks out. It's a message to me. I read something in a newsletter, in a newspaper, in a, and I hear something on the radio. It's all messages. The Rebbe Shalom is sending me messages all day. But I'm just so busy deflecting it, you know, like a tennis racket. Boom, boom, boom. Nothing hits me. I have a shield all around me. I'm Teflon. Nothing sticks to me. But if a person is a Rabbi Akiva Yid, if you're a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, you have to take things personally. You have to see things as, for me, make Kabbalah to yourself from things that you see around you. And now we can go back to the Medrash that we started with. We have these Talmud Rabbi Akiva. The Talmud Rabbi Akiva should be the first people that are like sitting at the edge of the seat, lapping up everything Rabbi Akiva was telling you. This isn't a rock formation. But you're learning from somebody that learns from rock formations, personal things. Everything, you're awake, you're inspired, you're touched, you're moved. You're molded by everything that you see. You're a Talmud of Rabbi Akiva, but you're in Misnamnim. He was giving a drasha to them. He was giving a musashmus to them. His chilul is namnein, your talmidei Rabbi Akiva, and you're dozing off? How is that shy? Rabbi Akiva like, stunned. Don't you understand? I'm giving a drasha and, you're, and you're, you're falling asleep? You're not taking musr? You're not awakening yourself like Rabbi Niyana says? What's going on? Not only are you not awakening, you're, you're, you're sleeping. You're misnamning. Couldn't believe it, Rabbi Akiva. In order to awaken them, Bikesh La'ayran, he wanted to wake them up. What did he say? Ma rasa Esther limlech al medinas. Why did Esther decide to make that decision? That fateful decision that would ultimately save Paul Yisrael to be the mouth of over 127 nations. Why did she awaken herself? What, what did she see? What, did, what was Myra her to do that? To change? To make some life-altering decisions? What, what changed? What moved her? Well, she was Mabra Sedra, Parshas Chayesara. Tavai Vaspita Shalsara. Let the great great granddaughter of Sarai Menu Shachaisa, Kuf Kav Zayin Shana, she was living 127 years. That's my great great grandmother. She was 127 years. Is that just a coincidence? 127, 127? It might be. That's how most people would say it, would see it as 127. It's apples and oranges. 127 years. 127 countries, nah, not for me, not, not Nagea. If Esther had thought that way, if Esther would have said, nah, it's not Nagea to me because of this and that and the other reason, we wouldn't be here right now in this yeshiva. We wouldn't be alive. Haman would have destroyed us all. You know why Esther was moved to actually go to 
to become the Malka on Kukhav Zayim Medinas, to be able to sway his his determination to destroy Klal Yisrael, to save Klal Yisrael, to plead on our behalf because she took it personally. She read the Tarsha, Sari Menu, 127 years, opportunity to me, 127 countries. Yep, that's what HaKadosh Baruch wants. That's the Ratzon Hashem. Ah, but it's countries versus uh, versus uh, versus years, and it's uh, it's it's uh, you know 127. She took it personally. She was looking at it like the Chumash wrote it for me. The Chumash wrote it for me. And you know something? If if you're looking, and you're not sure if you should buy a house, and it's on 127 Main Street. Maybe the Torah is talking to you. And if you're, uh, I don't know, if you're, you're, you're you know, you're uh, something else, Nagea 127, maybe it's Nagea to you. But you have to take it personally. The Torah is a Torah's Chaim, it's a living Torah. The Torah is talking to all of us. Esther and Malka saw this, saw the connection. And she made a decision. It moved her. It changed the course of history. Rabbi Akiva is telling somebody, what are you sleeping for? The only conclusion that I could come to while you're sleeping is because you think that what I'm telling you is not Nagaya you. And so you could sleep. It's the other Talmudim that I'm addressing. It's not you. That's the only reason why a person would fall asleep during a shear. If I was talking one-on-one with you and I'm telling you, you've got a problem, you've got to deal with this and this is something that you have, you'd be wide awake but you think it's a whole shear, so it's probably the rabbi's talking to everyone else in the shear. The rabbi's talking to everyone else in the shul. Esther didn't think that way. And Rabbi Akiva's saying, if you want to be my Talmidim, you better wake up right now. You better understand that I'm talking to you. And that was Ma'ir, the Talmidim Rabbi Akiva. The Ramban writes in his famous Igaris. It's a fabulous Igaris, by the way. If you're not familiar with Igaris or Ramban, it's time to get familiarized with it. The Ramban himself writes, it's found in the fine print in the Sidorum that bring it, that, well, it's actually not in the fine print. I think it's, he actually writes it himself, that, that when you, when you learn the Igaris or Ramban, then whatever you ask for from the Rabbinic Shalom, you'll get. It's like, a, it's, it's the ultimate school. I once asked my Rebbe, the Karnal of Rafa, I was in seventh grade and I, I, I was familiar with the Igaris Ramban and I used to say it every day and I was expecting that, you know, I would say it and I would get an A on the test and I'd get, a, you know, I'd get other things that I was hoping for. And I asked for that. So the Ramban is promising us that the day that you read the Yigaris Ramban, you know, that you'll, you'll get what you want and it's not happening. He says, says, this is not a vending machine. You don't put a dollar in and get a, or two dollars in today and get a Rajman cookie out. He says, you gotta, you gotta learn the letter and you gotta live the letter. The Ramban is talking about uh, being an Anav. 
you got to become an anav. If you become an anav from the letter, if you're inspired by the letter, it'll work. But if you're just reading the letter, you're davening up the letter, that ain't going to work. You have to be ma'ayr in this ayr. But in that letter, he says, he says, v'chasher, takam in sefer. When you get up from learning, whatever it is, he doesn't say a Muslim sefer, he doesn't say a Mesech Shabbos, he doesn't say a Mishnah Baruch, anything that you learn, kasher takam in sefer. when you get up from the sefer, Think a little bit about what you just learned. If there's something from that that I learned that I could put into motion, that I could put into action, and if you can, then you must. If you're learning Musr Seder and you're learning a Mesul Susharim, it's not random that you're learning that shtickle in the Mesul Susharim, that piece in the Mesul Susharim. The Rabbi Shalom is telling you something from that Mitzvah Shalom that's Negea to you. If you go to a shir and they're giving a shmuz about Lashon Hara, that's Negea to you. If you're going to a shir and they're talking about being makbid on Gezel or being makbid on Anaynas uh, Devarim or being makbid on Sheker, that's Negea to you. Everything that you hear, everything that you learn, every person that you're around, whatever you're surrounded by, whatever you're exposed to, are messages that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending. But you have to be yourself. You have to have antennas up and ears wide open to accept it, to realize that it's personal, and I'm going to change from it. This is the beautiful takeaway from this this medrash at the beginning of Chayi Sarah, we learn these sukkim in the parasha, and we don't, we're not moved by them. 127 years, and every single word in Chumash, every single Rashi that you learn, every Ramban, is life-altering. But why do some people change from them, and some people not change? Because the people that don't change, they're not, they don't think that it's talking to them. They're not, it's not talking to me. I'm not moved by it. The people that are changed by it, they're sitting by the Rashi with like, what, what, what is Rashi saying to me? What is the Ramchal saying to me? What is the Ramban saying to me? What's the Ebenezer saying to me? What's the Rashba, the Ritva, the Meiri, the Chavitz Chaim, the Gra? What are they saying to me? I'm not learning a Sefer that was given to Klal Yisrael. I'm learning a Sefer that was given to me. It's personal. It's all to me. It's also all to you. But that doesn't change the fact that it's all to me. The Altaf and Slavovsky used to say, when he was talking about the sun, the sun is a Givaldiga gift. You know, today it looks like it's a cloudy day. You're going to go outside, it's probably cold. Days that the sun is out, it's beautiful, right? The sun is baking on you and it's like, it's a Mechaya, right? It's Geschmack to be in, walking in the sunlight and it's, uh, it's bright and it's, it's joyful and the flowers are out and the, the trees are blooming and the, the birds are chirping and the sun is an amazing thing. It's warm, it provides heat and light. Do we really appreciate the sun? No. Not really. We, we like it, it's, it's cool, but it's not, it's not like, wow, I got the sun. The Altaf and Slavovsky used to call it my son. My S-U-N. My son. It's mine. So they said, what do you mean it's yours? There's like six billion people walking the face of the earth. They're also getting hung up in the sun. 
He says, that, that's true also. It's their son too, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's my son. Is it a stira, the fact that you're getting Hanah, that means that I can't get Hanah, or because everybody's getting Hanah doesn't, it's not important to me? Because the Torah is given to whole Yisrael, that doesn't mean that it wasn't given to me. I could still say it's my Torah, it's my Musr, it's my Mitzvah Sisharm, it's my Shari Tshuva, it's my Ramban. I could appreciate something personally, even though it's not only for me. But if I look at it like it's mine, it's a different world. If you look at Tyra as a personal thing, that it's always to me, every drush is to me, every safer is to me, every bart's to me, that's a different Tyra. It's not a generic Tyra that everybody's appreciating, everybody's getting So I'm just one guy out of, uh, out of so many other people that are learning it. Then you're never going to take anything from anything. In order to really change, you have to open up your heart and make it personal. These are the lessons of these parshas, the avis, the imais, every pus, every word that Avraham Avinu is saying. There's there's so much depth to the Torah. The Torah is so deep. There's so many beautiful lessons to take from the Akedas Yitzchak. Last week's parsha, and it carries through to this week's parsha, the death of Sarah from the arcade. And one of the vaden we said an unbelievable bar from Pincus about a, a, a minor lesson that's not even like you know the major lesson from the arcade. A minor lesson about how to break news to somebody. But there's millions of lessons, but we have to take them in. And if we make it personal, if we want to be ma'ir ourselves. We'll be changed people. We'll be so great. We'll be Chafetz Chaims. But if everything we do with a yawn and we're misnamim and it's not Nagaya to me and maybe tomorrow and maybe him and it's not going to work. It may not nearly mealy. It's up to me. Can't rely on anybody else. You have the biggest rabbi, the biggest speaker, the biggest darshan. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. If you don't wake yourself up to be inspired and to move and to see things as being personally Nagaya, 127, 127, call yourself gone. Esther would not have made that heckish. Forget it, it'll be over. Yes, Hashem, we should take the lessons of these parashiyas to heart. Take them personally. When will I be able to really relate fully to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. To, what does that mean? I'm never going to be Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, but I'm going to be able to derive vital lessons from them. If Avram Avinu did this, then I could do it. Take it personally. Understand everything that they did was Lidiris, was for us, for our benefit, for our, for our I was going to say enjoyment, for our benefit for us to learn, to be moved, to be inspired, to be touched. In Mitzvah Hashem, we will grow to be great people by doing just that. Have a good chance.